0: Hey guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. No, I've been talking about Leon Tailoring for years. Ever since I came to Indianapolis almost 20 years ago. You know why I talk about them? Because Leon Tailoring does a really good job of getting you quality clothes, whether it's something tailor-made, something ready-made, something custom-made. they got a career services division uh, for the young people in life who are looking for that first job. No matter what it is you're looking for, when it comes to clothing over at Leon Tailoring, they will look out for you and they will take care of you. So when you swing on by at 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis, tell them Abdul sent you and say hi to Larry Norm Kimmich, and, and pick yourself something up or better yet something for your loved one they'll appreciate it leon taylor 809 north delaware downtown indianapolis
1: follow-up health care question i'll start with you senator taylor indiana ranks in the bottom third of states when it comes to health care access when and how will the legislature address this so more hoosiers receive proper care and one of the things the chamber has on our priorities that we're going to go over here in about a half hour or so is um, sort of look at the scope of practice laws so if you could talk about that
2: well, um, you know, access to health care is something that I, I, I believe in wholeheartedly. And as a legislative body, we have to put our money where our mouth is. And I, I don't think we're doing that here in the state of Indiana. What has happened is the health care system has created the, the – uh, it's been a benefit for those who have and for the people who have less – they haven't been able to access those healthcare opportunities. We gotta start with first, making sure that everyone who who needs a doctor before they need a doctor has access to a healthcare provider. But that's a whole lot of, there's a whole lot of things that go into that. And I won't get into that because we've gotta, again, have the business climate where we attract healthcare providers. If you look at rural Indiana, um, there we have a lack of health care providers throughout the rural counties the second piece is for us as legislators to say that we we, people who are poor seem to have the worst health care outcomes so we if we know that then we should find a way to provide affordable health care to those people and then we would move We'd be better than being, you know, top three in maternal mortality in the country and our health care outcomes hopefully would be better as a result of that. But until we just focus on the fact that poor people have a lack of access to health care, we're going to struggle and we're going to continue to struggle. So that's what I think that if I were if I were in their position, uh, that's what I would do.
1: Any comments on healthcare access before we move on to one more health care question?
2: I've got a
3: I've got a thought with regard to it. I mean, it's, you look across the state, and it's sort of interesting. The same challenge that uh, uh, Senator Taylor has in his district in, in uh, urban areas is a similar challenge that I have in my district in some of my more rural areas. Is that access to to good care, and um, um, uh, it's. It, 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 on some level, it seems like those are different issues, but they're really the same—the same problem or the same challenge that we that we both share. Um, uh, you know, we think we, we, it's a good move for us to continue to try and invest and help make sure there are residencies out there for doctors who are coming out of medical school because if we can get them here to start, maybe it's a better chance than to get them here to stay. Uh, it's a good idea to do that, it's not just in Indianapolis and Fort Wayne and some of our more urban areas, but uh, to do so across some of our rural and, uh, uh Smaller community hospitals as well in the hopes that some of those folks will end up staying there And there's a cost there that probably has value for the state of Indiana to invest in so that so that that um, uh, begins to turn the tide Um, the other thing with regard I know that the the issue of uh, Expanding the scope of nurse practitioners has been discussed It will be discussed again in this legislative session Legitimate issue to talk about the one thing I'll say with regard to that is so you know What I will analyze is let's take a look at that and show me we're not the first state to have talked about this this. In fact, a number of states have already stepped into that world, where the nurse practitioners have expanded their scope. And so, you'll need to show me to convince me that one that it really is less expensive and not more expensive because uh, somebody who doesn't have the same experience as a doctor is just relying on more tests that might not otherwise have to be have to be um, a cost that would have to be incurred. As well, make sure that the data shows for the other states that have done it that these nurse practitioners have moved into rural parts of the state where doctors don't seem to want to go. So let's make sure that whatever we do there is going to solve the challenges that we have, not just do it because it sounds like a good idea.
4: I'd also note that I think that why people continue to talk about scope of practice is because there's a lack of primary care physicians. And the primary care (laughs) physician issue is one that I think every state needs to tackle. It's, It's complicated, but the fact of the matter is is based upon reimbursement models and what uh doctors can make you know we've watched people move into specializations and uh you know and then then you've watched largely the hospital systems uh grab up the primary care physicians and so i think you know the idea that well if we just change scope of practice uh in you know changes access to health care i i would be um uh I don't know if i'd use the word suspicious but i you know i don't think again it looks at the broader picture of, of all this and again we want people to have access to high quality health care and, and and frankly one of the things we need to work on is figuring out how we we, we provide more independent primary care physicians because i think that's the best and first uh, the best place to, to to eventually get to we won't snap our fingers and make that happen overnight but you have to create a policy framework that, that begins to
0: move in that place i, I just want to if i can uh give a little credit where credit's due. I, um, uh, joined a board a couple years ago Alliance Healthcare uh, <laughs> Center in Fort Wayne working with PARC, <laughs> and they located a clinic uh, in uh, the uh, 0706 zip codes in port wayne which uh, the 06 zip code has i think the worst infant mortality rate uh, in the state so um i will give credit to parkview and all the other hospitals in fort wayne they're at least trying to do some things where they recognize areas in the city and uh, only speaking for fort wayne allen county recognize in areas where uh, we don't we have these Healthcare deserts, if you will, however you want to say, where they don't, Sorry. folks don't have access or have to go uh, uh, to to the hospital, or just don't have access. So they're kind of recognizing that, and they're putting in these areas in the city that need uh, need assistance.
4: I'll hit on a the theme. I'm going to probably you'll hear tomorrow and through session too. You know, healthcare is is a concern of all of ours, uh, and, and whether it's the state or the providers, but you know, it's also up to Hoosiers right? I mean, you know, the idea that government's going to solve this, I mean, it's no great shock how you gain weight, how you lose weight, how you eat matters, whether you exercise matters. Um, and, and, you know, I i think so many times we say, well, the government's got to come solve this problem for us. The government's got to come figure this out. And, you know, I mean, how do you improve healthcare outcomes? First and foremost is to take personal responsibility in it. And, um, you know, and, and I think that, sometimes gets lost in these discussions, and, and it becomes about what's the government going to do. Um, you know, we should never forget the first thing we need to do is is, is internally say, you know, how am I individually, um, you know, thinking about my own personal health care. And I have huge concerns about access, and I don't want to be dismissive of that, but but I just, as we frame questions, it shouldn't always be in what's the government going to do. I, I
2: got to respond to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that's the problem that we see and we've seen over the last 20 years of the leadership in the state of Indiana. Access to health care is the first step. When we talk about people having self-responsibility, and I, I unfortunately disagree with the speaker on this, you can do everything you want from uh, taking care of yourself to eating right, to the, your body is eventually going to break down and to leave it up to the people and to the free market so that the government doesn't get involved, for people to have access to what we as Americans should be happy to have, and to make it a financial decision, is definitely a government issue. The government was there. We we can't have the government approving medications in the process for medications and then say, now we have no responsibility for the cost of it. The FDA approves a drug, let's take insulin, right? And people now who have diabetes need insulin, yet we can't cap the cost of something that was created 70 years ago so that people can have access to this because the foods that we eat, because of the chemicals and all the other things, have created more people with diabetes. And then we wanna say it's personal responsibility. Yeah, there's some of that, but the government plays a significant role in making sure that people have access. I'm not saying give it away, but by God, if if Eli Lilly is making $40 billion dollars, on a drug that was created, formulated 40 years ago, and the government can't step in and say, "Hey, hold on a second. We've got people that all they need is a shot a week, and they can't afford it. We we should step in and do something about that." So I I, I struggle with people saying that the government should be a part of this. Senator
4: Taylor, I didn't suggest the government should be part of it. I think it's it, I just suggested that we should it should be looked at holistically to understand that it is you know the government will be part of it. As you noted, you know, we have a lot of, the government spends a ton of money in Medicaid programs to support low-income people, and we've always been supportive of that. I'm just suggesting that, you know, when, when the question is always framed of what the government's going to do about it, we have to remember there is, you know, personal responsibility too.
1: Jason.
4: All right, now
0: that we've reached consensus on that issue, uh, let's turn to another aspect of public health, which is mental health. Um, can you speak to where that falls in the priority list this session and what
4: if any action you anticipate in terms of funding or other policy directions
1: speaker if you want to take that on this side yeah
4: we've heard loud and clear this is a concern of, of folks and um, you know we're looking you know we've got a long-term problem again in the sense that we just don't have enough people uh, uh, psychiatrists and and counselors and those types of things we've got to you know first thing we need to do is we did this last budget, we need to continue to do is increase the reimbursement rate uh, for those types of services, um, and, and um, you know, we will we will continue to make investments in those areas. Um, you know, I know a lot of local communities are making sure that they're, um, you know, helping. I, I think the, the really positive thing on the mental health side is that because so many of us have people we love who have mental health issues is that it's no longer uh, – you know, stigmatism to it. Um, now, the question is, how do we help? And how do we really help the, the people that have uh, significant mental health issues that, that um, you know, uh, have access and have care, you know, care provide to them? So uh, it'll be part of our agenda and, um, um, you know, an area that we've heard a lot of from a lot of folks across the state about the need for, for more providers.
1: In terms of energy, uh, the chamber believes it's time, arguably past time, for the state to have a new energy plan. Where do you stand on that? And is that something that you foresee maybe the governor leading on or that might be helpful? Senator Bray?
3: So, uh, uh, yeah, I think the governor, of course, we uh, that about four years of a governor's task force that have uh, looked at these issues. And I think you kind of characterize the last 12 months of Look there at um, uh, making sure there in particular is some reliability and uh, uh, Because uh, you you, you take a look at some of the you've got sustainability You've got reliability and you have affordability and I say frequently that reliability is the least important of those unless you don't have reliability. And then it becomes the most important without a doubt. And uh, so as we've watched other parts of the countries begin to have problems with that, we've got a little bit of a warning ourselves that there's a problem with that because of moving too quickly into renewables that uh, don't have the ability to provide the level or the the, uh, the amount of power we need 24 seven every day. And uh, that's obvious when obviously the days uh, around here, at least in the Midwest, when this the, uh, the wind isn't blowing, or the the sun isn't shining. We've got to make sure that we have that have that reliability. But the other piece too, I'll speak on is the the idea of affordability. We have continued to watch over time, since about 2003, a continued march in Indiana where the cost of power has gone, continued to go up. Uh, we were about third or fourth in the nation back in the early 2000s, and now we're north of 30th in the nation. So it's not where we wanna be, and it's not, uh, it's not moving in a direction that we wanted to move in. So we'll continue to try and uh, work on that to make sure that it's affordable for all Hoosiers and the businesses around the state.
0: Anyone on this side talk about energy? I'll just add that um, you know change is coming, and Indiana can be uh, a part of that change or not. Um, I think it's been interesting that it's been uh, businesses around the state that have been the ones, frankly, leading on this. Uh, on this effort to, uh, to change the way they do business with regards to renewables. And, um, you know, I think Indiana should uh, do everything we can to help incentivize businesses as they look to way they change uh, the ways that they, they do things. And, uh, if it's only, you know, it's, gosh, it's going to create thousands of new jobs and, uh, and, and protect the environment. There's so many good things with this issue, so many positive things that um, I think Indiana could do. We could be much better in being out in front of it than we have been i think i'm going to be very glad that we've taken a cautious
4: approach to it i think you know the fact of the matter is i'm for more renewables too like almost everyone i'm sure in this room uh but the fact of the matter is is like you know you have to have what's called baseload energy uh that's the stuff that actually allows you to heat your homes turn on your lights run your businesses work your you know utilize your machines uh, you know unfortunately the national poli- policies haven't been responsible and we're going to see massive Uh, increases um, you know in in heating rates this winter both in Indiana and across the country Um, and and, you know I, I continue to say you have to have an energy policy not run on energy theory and right now it feels like you know the world's being ran on energy theory that hey, we're just going to hope that the renewables give us enough energy to to, to satisfy our base load, and, and we're not even close to that. An honest assessment is we're not even close to that, and so you know I, I look forward as and every day the good news is more renewables come on the grid, and that's great. But it, as that transition takes place, and you're the number one GDP uh, state in the country for manufacturing, you better have reliable, cost effective energy, and um, we'll, we'll continue to to focus on that.
1: We have several more questions. We'll try to get to before 11. Uh, this two-partner I wanted to direct to Senator Bray. Now he has has to leave here in a few minutes for another commitment. So I want to make sure to get his thoughts on this. Obviously, each caucus will have different perspective on which priorities should be funded in the next two-year budget. Budget. I wanted to get what your priorities are, and also outside of the budget, if you could give us a sneak peek on what your is top of mind for you.
3: Yeah, thanks, and first of all, I do have to leave about in about five minutes, and I apologize for that. I had a previous engagement before this got put on the calendar that I just couldn't set aside, but I appreciate being here with you today and, and having this important conversation. Obviously, the budget's a big one, and we'll continue to work on that in, in a way that we have in the past where we uh, try to spend within our means and keep Indiana in a sound uh, fiscal position. Uh, we'll continue to try, and uh, outside of that, uh, really, some of the issues we've talked about here today already, uh, the public health and how that infrastructure will change, you take a look. You I would, I would give you to Senator Charbonneau to watch. Uh, that'll be a priority for us is to kind of starting to change that infrastructure. And Senator Charbonneau, I think, will take up that. Uh, as probably as the author of the bill and certainly as chairman of the Health Committee. And uh, with regard to mental health, too, a priority, we've been hearing loud and clear in the Senate as well that uh, um, and, you know, Senator Kreider will have, have – have, a number of proposals there to work on that will kind of t- try to address that continuing and growing challenge. Uh, outside of that, we'll look at uh, uh, issues of workforce and uh, we, we were kind of interested in trying to take another look at another round of Ready Grants that uh, that we uh, continue to try and add value and create opportunity and energy and excitement in per- certain parts of the state to bring in that workforce that we are so so desperately trying to recruit. So those are a handful of things that you'll see us begin to work on this
1: year. What do you think the reception will be for um, an increased budget for the Indiana Destination Development Corporation to get it more in line with? But Michigan and other states that are um, successful in those talent and visitor attraction efforts. I know Elaine Beadle has a has a more significant ask for the coming session. I wanted to get your thoughts on that real quick. A
3: lot of confidence in Elaine Beadle. I think she's a, a, got a great, is a great talent and brings great energy to that. And we uh, we want those, uh, certainly the workforce, goodness gracious, if we can get people to come to the state of Indiana to work, we want to do that and we'll work with her to do that. And uh, uh, so are we open to looking at spending a little bit more money there? Sure. But you got to keep in mind that that's one aspect of uh, every aspect of the state deals with and we'll, we'll throw it in the mix and have a very serious conversation about it. But I have a lot of confidence in her and a lot of faith in her ability so I'm happy to work with her
1: thank you senator thank
3: you very much I'll, I'll check out now
2: okay okay
1: um, Senator Taylor if you want to talk about your Cox's priorities in the budget and
2: outside of the budget uh, thank you uh, well from from the perspective of the Indiana Senate Democrat caucus we we uh, take pride in small victories uh, and we try to try to get legislation passed that we believe that can help Hoosier families across the state. Uh, for, so for us, uh, for example, I was able to get a registry for sickle cell, uh, excuse me, for bone marrow registry here in the state of Indiana. Hopefully this year we can actually fund that through the Department of Health so that people who uh, want to donate bone marrow for for the hundreds of uh, thousands of Hoosiers who need bone marrow transplants, we're going to get those things Across the board, And then we're going to fight to struggle and, and we're going to c- quite frankly talk about where the state of Indiana and the average Hoosier is in the state of Indiana relative to the rest of the country. Um, we can no longer sit back uh, and we can talk about it all we want. But the fact that we have educational attainment issues in the state of Indiana is in a combination of a whole bunch of other things is the reason why we don't have uh, people wanting to move to the state. Uh, Some of our public policy issues and some of the decisions that we've made in the state of Indiana just puts us out there. for as a state where we're not moving forward and the rest of the country seems to be moving along. So we're going to be trying to put forth some some policy to traditional help traditional public schools get the resources they need to address some of the issues with K through 12 education. And uh, we're also going to continue to support what we believe to be a real movement into uh, renewable energy resources in the state of Indiana.
1: Thank you. Speaker Houston.
2: Well, let me
4: encourage my good friend Senator Taylor by just noting that we are the fastest-growing state population in the Midwest. So people are still moving here and, and moving here, uh, and we're grateful to have them. Uh, to continue to build on that, uh, we will we will fund the Ready Grant, the five hundred million dollars second round. It'll be in the House budget, uh, you know, because we do believe quality place working with our local uh, government partners is the key. So we'll we'll continue to do that. We'll make a historic new investment in K twelve education while expanding. Uh, you know, options for, for all kids to choose a school of their choice. Um, you know, we will we, we recognize one of the biggest challenges we have is housing. And, and the fact of the matter is, is we want to continue to bring all these people that want to come to Indiana, but we have to make sure they have places to live and um you know so we're going to partner with uh, local communities uh, looking at some both funding options and and other things that we can do to support that uh, outside of the budget uh, i think you will see uh you know focus on healthcare costs and creating more competition in the healthcare marketplace um you know i think we we want to ensure that indiana uh, controls its energy policy and and, and isn't controlled by um folks that, that don't live in our state and don't have to pay the, the increases uh in in utility rates that, that we're seeing and um you know we will never take our eye off the ball on infrastructure because that's a that's a key thing for our state you know we're number one ranked infrastructure state in the country um you know when you're the crossroads of america you have to continue to make those investments but you know i'm confident in chairman thompson um I, you know chairman and and, and uh, Representative porter will will work together to, to get us to a good strong budget
0: Thank you. Yeah, um, we yeah we'll you know continue to push for uh, pre-K. We know that there's some uh, areas of the state where. Um uh, folks just still don't have access to uh, to pre-K. Um, in fact, if you look at the numbers, uh, we're woefully short sure compared to uh, uh, where the rest of the country is with uh, with regards to uh, getting these kids into pre-K programs. Um, obviously, we want to continue to look to, for ways to lower health care costs. We've discussed that here. Uh, we want to continue to uh, push to fully fund public education uh, in this state and then do everything that we can to incentivize those uh, kids that graduate high school to go on to college. Uh, to college uh, and attain a college degree Um, and then finally um, you know we talk about and I've talked a lot about this is this whole the the notion of quality of place quality of life you know where we've seen growth in the state has been in our uh, uh, urban and suburban areas and I believe that's because those those areas have done a nice job of of um, uh, doing the things they can to make sh- to make the, the, their cities attractive for those uh, people that want to live there and and, and stay there. So um, uh, s- stemming, in my opinion, the, the kind of the brain drain, the thing that I mentioned earlier that I'm concerned about that uh, college uh, graduates are leaving the state, um, and um, and I think we need to you know do everything we can make sure our folks are staying here. And part of that has to be with frankly, let's give the social issues a rest. This session, we just come out of a very contentious uh, special session. And, uh, back in uh, July-August, and um, I don't think, frankly, it, it does our state uh, any good that we are uh, on the national news uh, with these type of issues, and um, uh, and I believe that it uh, we, we need to give the social issues a rest. Uh, and finally, and I'm hoping I get a commitment right now from uh, Speaker Houston that we will not have a special session <laughs> this year. You, know, fine, sir. Um, you and I have talked about uh, that in the past, and uh, uh, you promised me last time that we wouldn't be doing uh, anything after March. So I'm going to hold you to it this time, <laughs> that we're going to get our business done on time and uh, and get out of here at the Believe end me, before. no one would be happier,
4: Leader G. Quinn. Uh, you heard yeah, I to say I want to say, I, to, to Leader G. Quinn's point I, about uh, pre-K, you know, I think, and I'm going to use that as just a pivot into something a little sure. broader, uh, he, you know, I thought the work of the Early Learning Commission was good. I thought there were really solid recommendations and proposals in that. Um, you know, one area that it goes kind of goes to this workforce in general thing, and that we have to look at. You know, we have to look at licensure. We have to look at all those barriers to entry to workforce in a completely different manner. Um, you know, and and uh, I thought, the, the, you know, talking to some folks in that area, I mean, you know, look, one of the biggest challenges we have in early learning or pre K is the fact that. We just don't have enough providers. We don't have enough people in that space to offer the, the services, dollars or not. And we've got to really, you know, this legislative session, a whole host of areas when we're going to be in a tight labor force—not for two years, but for probably the next decade—is uh, you know, how do you how do you rethink what licensure looks like? How do you rethink giving people uh, the opportunity to, to 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 serve in areas in which we just frankly need people? I think we're all we want to be respectful of the fact that we don't want to you know um create unsafe environments but but i think you know licensure and and the ability to, to create and and uh, provide more providers will be critical jason do you
1: have anything else no, good for now. okay uh, one thing i want so we have a few more minutes uh wrap before we wrap up uh, the past two years in the chambers well past several years in the chambers um, employer survey uh, the top barriers they found for talent was really housing and childcare. We've sort of touched on those a little bit here, but I'll give you an opportunity to see any specifics you see um, being introduced and being successful this session.
0: On, on the you can go ahead. Child care. Yeah, sure. and I think we. we I think this was addressed actually last year as well, and um, unfortunately nothing nothing really happened on that right. issue. But because uh, it is definitely uh, a barrier for folks, um, uh, some people will tell you that they uh, you know can't afford to be work because it's too expensive for for childcare. So if there's any mm-hmm. sorts of incentives that we can do for uh, employers, um, you know, we talked a little bit about the. Um, the uh, and maybe this isn 't directly related but the the Workshare program bill that we uh, put up amendments we put bills that House Democrats have uh, because I know that there's some that, that has to do too with kind of uh, I know it had maybe more with layoffs and things like that mm-hmm. uh, to avoid that, but it's also folks that are working from home maybe not be you know 40 hours in the workplace, too, which may help, you know, with some uh, child care effort that they're going to be at home. So, um, um, but, yeah, no, I, I, I think that's a big barrier to entry for for a lot of uh, folks that are willing to get and wanting to, to work uh, is a, a, a health uh, uh, care is affordable childcare, And if we can do anything to send by side, I'd be all for
2: it. Senator Taylor? Oh, yes. Um, I think uh, well, to address the uh, speaker's comment in, all those people moving into Indiana, I thought they were coming here because we we're a better place to live, so I don't know where they're at. The, the, to me, uh, you're going to have an increase in population. The question is that whether or not that population is the population that are going to provide a better business client for the workers that the companies need. And I think companies have been saying to us over the last several sessions that we have some issues related to child care costs and and the fact that the workforce that we're looking to hire can't afford child care so they're staying at home. So I offered specifically a child care tax credit for state taxpayer, under state tax bill that would give you a tax credit for your child care costs if you're working. That bill never got a hearing. Uh, those are simple things that we could do to help Hoosiers and incentivize them, you know, with the huge surplus or whatever you want to call it. You want to call it a reserve or surplus that we have. We could give back to Indiana taxpayers by providing them with a state child care tax credit that would go directly on their liability to the state of Indiana. So we could do those things. That employers want us to do with uh, the population of people uh, in the state of Indiana and I think that's one thing that we could do is provide for a child care tax credit. Speaker
1: Houston.
4: Yeah I, I, I kind of hit on the child care thing I'll just be more specific in the housing that I think you know this is a critical issue we have you know we never recovered from the you know the lack the 2008 2009 2010 um, economic downturn that we never recovered our housing supply and now uh you know now this has become you know terribly problematic if you are trying to uh find housing in the state um you know so and again we we've got the ability we're blessed to be the fastest growing state in the midwest we've got uh people want to come to indiana but they got to have places to live and so you know what we have to do is you know we've been you know we'll announce as part of our agenda some the specifics but we have to partner with our local units of government to, to make sure there's affordable housing across a whole range of spectrums as we move if people move here you know we we need housing across the full range of of uh, a price and uh we've just got to do it i mean and we've you know we've got to find local partners that want to do it we have a lot of them across the state i'm encouraged as i travel the state to hear people in our local communities say look we 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 have people here that want to develop uh, and what, how do we come along to help provide some of the infrastructure um, costs like a lot like we did in 2019 when we did the uh the Water Infrastructure uh, Revolving Loan Fund that that allowed communities access to those dollars. It's a revolving loan, so you can continue to fill the bucket. But, you know, it it is a uh, huge issue that that communities are facing across the country. I just feel like, you know, Everybody, you know, we're going to go into an economic downturn. It's just a matter of how severe it is, right? I mean, I think it's uniformity that there's there's going to be recession. You know, the question is going to be who puts her foot on the gas pedal or who, who pauses. And I think on these types of issues, we've got to stick our foot on the gas pedal because it's going to differentiate ourselves. We we, we have, um, you know, we have so much opportunity. We have so many businesses that, that – uh, uh, you know, want to come to Indiana? I couldn't agree more with, with Senator Taylor and Leader G Quinta That you know, we have to keep our best and brightest in Indiana. Um, you know, as they graduate from our from our schools or our or our technical uh, certification programs, we want them to be in Indiana. One of the places we have to be able to provide is is, is reasonable housing that they can get they can get their feet uh, settled here and and have a pathway to build into homes and and hopefully you know raise their families here.
1: Thank you. That's all the time we have. Uh, We thank the caucus leaders for being here and sharing their insights. Thank you. And now I'll turn things back over to Jason Beers.
0: This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level,
1: please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.